Well, hey, everyone. Good morning to uh, all of you here who are worshiping with us at Resurrection City Church. Whether it is your first time or your, I don't know, I was going to say 100th or whatever, but I don't know how many sermons we've actually, or services we've actually had here at Res City. We did just celebrate our second birthday last week, so if I were better at math, I probably could have figured it out before I said that, but I don't have time for that right now. I got a sermon to preach. So, <laughs> anyway, my name is Joel. If it is your first time uh, worshiping with us this Sunday morning, very happy to have you with us. Uh, whether you're joining us online here from the comfort of your nice warm home, probably snuggled under some blankets uh, with a, 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 a mug of coffee or something, or you, you brave the cold here and you're, uh, you're with us here in person. Either way, we're just happy to have you worshiping with us this Sunday morning. We are in the second sermon of our uh, series that we just started last week on uh, wisdom. Uh, we have been, uh, we are going to be talking about this idea of wisdom as it comes to us in the Bible, and we're going to be doing it specifically uh, under the lens of the, the, the what's called the wisdom literature uh, found in the Old Testament, the books of uh, uh, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, this, um, Job, and the Song of Songs. And so we're going to be spending four weeks in each of those uh, books of the Bible uh, for the next uh, few months here. And last week we kind of kicked the series off uh, in with our first week in the book of Proverbs, and we sort of uh, talked about what is wisdom. We tried to frame it as best we could, taking from the book of Proverbs. What do we mean when we talk about biblical wisdom? And how do we sort of uh, get our minds right and our hearts right as we sort of enter into that topic to talk about wisdom. And we're going to be continuing on with that today uh, in the book of Proverbs, talking about different characteristics of the wise. Now, if you did watch the sermon last week, or were here uh, and, and were able to hear it, um, you remember I kind of talked about how we can think of the, the books in the wisdom literature as these different voices who are kind of speaking to us and, and giving us different lenses on this idea of wisdom. And we talked about how Proverbs, it, we can think of it as like a bright young teacher who is coming to us and kind of uh, with, a, with a lot of uh, excitement, um, kind of asking us to, to, to listen to her and what she has to say on the topic of wisdom. And actually, that's how, that's a picture we get at the beginning of the book of Proverbs in chapter one. Uh, there's this picture of, of, of Lady Wisdom. That's, her, that's kind of her name in the book. Uh, she calls out to people in the public square of, of her time. And the public square in the ancient world would have been the, the street in sort of the common areas in the city um, of the village. Really, the city gate is actually where you would have had a lot of that take place. This is where kind of formal business in the city would happen is at the city gate. For us, though, imagine someone in the public square, on social media, on forums, writing an op-eds, giving TED Talks, hitting up the talk show circuit, uh, what, you know, podcasting maybe, right? Uh, kind of out there trying to get these, these ideas into people's heads of what wisdom looks like. Saying to us, I want to help you. I want to help you to be wise and to find life as you follow this wisdom. Now, at the same time, just like in any public square, including ours, there are other voices that are calling to us as well. And, and next week, we're going to talk about another character who shows up in the book of Proverbs, Lady Folly, who's doing the same thing, kind of calling out to you to try to get you to hear what she has to say to follow her sort of wisdom, which doesn't actually lead to life, but leads to something else. 
But as Lady Wisdom throws her hat in the ring, one of the things that sort of, I think, distinguishes her is that um, for what she has to say, it is for all and has this sort of enduring relevancy in all parts of our lives. Whether uh, we are talking about uh, decisions that we're making at home, decisions we're making at work, decisions we're making with friends and relationships, whatever kind of sphere of life that you can think of, wisdom has something to say to you. And not only uh, does she have something to say for all areas of your life, but she equally speaks to all people. She's not just talking to, you know, wise people maybe who are hanging out in academic circles, right, or the elites of the world, people who have read lots of books or have lots of education or have lots of money to have someone, you know, counselors come to them and tell them what to do. Wisdom is actually offered to everybody, to the little people as well. And that's what the picture of being in the public square is about. When you're in the public square in the common spaces of society, everybody can hear what you have to say. And that's the point of wisdom, is no matter who you are, no matter what space you occupy in a society, whether you're rich or you're poor, you're white, you're black, you're any other race, uh, you're you're man or woman, you, you, you live in flyover country or you live on the coasts, whatever it is, wisdom is saying, I have something for all of you equally, and equally you all can benefit from uh, hearing me. And so we have to resist the temptation to think that it's just good in theory or maybe good for a few different people, uh, but that it works for all of us and it works in all areas of our life. And the idea is that those who, who listen to Lady Wisdom, who kind of stop and, and listen to what she has to say and ponder it, end up becoming a certain type of people, people we should desire to want to be, people who are upright in character and that it's clear to all to see that that these are people who are upright, they are well-respected, they are trusted, they are celebrated by people who know them, their company is desired by all, everyone wants to be around people like this, they're competent, they're self-sufficient, they're hard-working, people are blessed because they know people who listen to Lady Wisdom and, and ponder over what she has to say. And then above all, these people know how to honor God in all different situations because that's what wisdom is about. It is telling us how to wisely honor God. So, um, like I said, there's a lot of ways we could take this. I, want, I only really had time for one sermon on sort of characteristics of the wise. And so today I, I'm going to single in on some specific ones that I think are hopefully going to be relevant to us in, in the world that we live in today, in 2021. I, I have three of them. Okay, originally I had seven, and I mentioned it to Julie about a week ago, and she's like, I think that's probably too many. And so I cut it down to three. I kind of combined a few. Um, so, so we got three big ones today. But there's, because we, we, we sort of, uh, narrowed it down, I think we can really dig deep into these three. So I'm really happy that, that, that Julie kind of uh, got me to do that because we can really you know, settle in deep instead of kind of getting a cursory look at a bunch of different aspects of wisdom in the book, okay? So that's what we're going to do today is we're going to talk about these sort of three principles that the wise who, who sort of listen to Lady Wisdom, who follow uh, her advice and sort of ponder after what she has to say, this is, this is some things um, that, that, that we learn from her, okay? So first of all, the first one I want to talk about today is that the wise believe that uprightness better protects their future than anything else. All right, the wise believe uprightness better protects their future than anything else. 
I think there's a view today, and, and, and you know, maybe you see this at varying levels depending on where you're at in life, whether you're in, you know, you've been working for a little bit of time, or maybe you're still in college, or maybe you're retired, or whatever it is. You see this to varying degrees, perhaps, but there's a view that things like uprightness and integrity and honesty, some of those virtues that we, but we all believe are good, that, that, that those, are, those are good things, but... Um, maybe they don't like get the job done, right? Maybe they're not quite as effective as sort of getting us to where we want to get to as much as we, w- we would want to. And, and, and I think we kind of, we don't realize the, the degree to which our decisions that we make, even in places that we wouldn't think that that type of stuff matters, still have these sort of moral components. And that's a big part of what wisdom in Proverbs is talking to us about, um, that, that our decisions that we make have moral components to them. It values uh, our, our how much uprightness we, we choose to put into our decisions, they matter. I think often when we read the book of Proverbs or other wisdom literature, we're kind of reading it in the same way we might read like a New York Times best-selling leadership handbook, right? It's, you know, Habits of Highly Effective People or something like that. Uh, we we kind of make it a book full of wise aphorisms where wisdom is, is sort of pragmatic, but it's really kind of self-centered at the end of the day. Um, it, it's trying to help us figure out the outcome and how we can get the, you know, what's the quickest and shortest line from point A to point B. And we're really just about getting to point B as quickly as possible. And we're not that concerned with, with how this adds to or contributes to, you know, our righteousness or how, how, how moral we're being, how upright we're being. And the reason is because we're really results-based, we're really outcome-oriented, we're really about the bottom line. That's a big feature of our society today. But wisdom is first and foremost about the uprightness, like the, who the people are that are making the decision over how the decision is getting made, or even about where it's going. All right, the, the moral factors or goals of a decision are always going to take precedence. Justice, not success, is our proper concern. And so wisdom calls us to value uprightness over results. But here's the thing. Here's the thing you might not consider is that we should have the understanding that when we make decisions according to the moral quality of them, according to how much they're going to honor God, that will guard us or that will lead us to happy results despite the fact we might not think that that's true. Proverbs 13, 6 says, Righteousness guards the person of integrity, but wickedness overthrows the sinner. Now, how does this work? Right? Like I said, sort of the dominant view in the world is that integrity and principle and all that stuff, it's great, but it doesn't really get results. And results is what make the world spin around. Profit, margin, titles, success, all that kind of stuff is what we really need to make the world work. And results are going to be the thing then that sort of secure our future, our happiness, our comfort, things we're really looking out for. And so that can lead us to sort of take shortcuts, to compromise, to to bend the rules, right? To be okay with uh, doing whatever to get to where we're trying to go. Wisdom says that that's actually not the best place to get you to where you want to go. If anything, it actually might end up harming your future and that the best way you can guard it is actually by valuing your uprightness in the certain decision you're making. So here's some examples in, in chapter 11. There's a bunch of stuff right all in a row here in chapter 11 of Proverbs. Verse 3, honesty guides good or upright people and dishonesty or duplicity destroys treacherous or unfaithful people. Verse 5, the godly are directed by honesty. The wicked fall beneath their load of sin. 
Verse 6, the godliness of good people rescues them. The ambition of treacherous people traps them. And verse 8, the godly are rescued from trouble and it falls on the wicked instead. Now, here's, here's the key, okay? Here's the, the big point to understand. No matter how much you might be tempted to think lying or cutting corners or st- stepping over other people to get what you want, bullying, uh, seeking out conflict, accepting dishonest gain, burning bridges, compromising what might be good, what you might believe is good, will help you out. And to be sure, there is a short-term gain to all of those things. Right? We all know that, we all understand that. Despite the fact that there might be a short-term game to that, the gain won't last. It's like sand that will slip out of our fingers, no matter how, hold we, how hard we tight, uh, tightly we, we, we hold on to it. And so Proverbs says that while the, the allure of these things might be you know, intoxicating, we might think it leads us to where we want to get to, it actually leads us to disaster. If you remember last week in the sermon series, we talked about how there's a sort of, wisdom is like the law of gravity in a sense. It's been woven into creation and it acts on us whether or not we pay attention or not. And so when we operate according to wisdom, you know, we're going to experience the fruit of that. But when we choose to ignore it, it's going to come and smack us in the face, just like gravity, right? So here's what's really happening. When we make compromises, when we, when we think about cutting corners or lying or, or taking these shortcuts to get to where we want, the further you go, Proverbs says, the more you're accumulating consequences and sin on top of yourself. And, and in verse 6, it says, or sorry, in verse 5, it says, there's this load of sin that falls on us that sort of traps us. Um, there's a lot of, lot of movies or, or TV shows or whatever examples of this, but one I always think of when I think about this is the movie Catch Me If You Can. Have any of you ever seen this one with Leonardo DiCaprio? It's really good. It came out in the mid-2000s. It's got Leonardo, Leonardo DiCaprio, Tom Hanks in it, and it's about a con artist that Leonardo DiCaprio plays where he keeps inventing new personas for himself and he lies his way into a bunch of money and a bunch of success, but as the movie goes on, the more and more lies he tells and constructs you know, for identities of himself, the less and less his options actually get to be, right? And so while it might get him out of one little, little thing, now the lie he told before it, it has completely closed off one avenue for him. And in order to get ahead, he has to keep telling more lies until eventually it all falls down on him. There's no further that he can go the more and more he tells lies, And so you see that sort of like he gets trapped by his treachery and eventually it it sort of falls in on him. But here's the thing, if you found success by uh, cutting corners or by engaging in some sort of shortcut, um, you don't really know how to find success in any other way. So you have to kind of keep doing it, right? That's how it works. And, And the more you do it, the more you get trapped by it. And so what might seem like upward motion, like as a rocket ship, you know, flying you to the top, is actually like a catapult that launches you in the right direction, but eventually you come down with a thud, right? That's, how, that's what Proverbs is saying here and how this all works. And instead, Proverbs wants to tell us to, to sort of seek out success in a different way, by our uprightness, because that leads to something that is even greater than perhaps the, the success in titles or money that you might attain. Proverbs 22.1 says, to choose a good reputation over great riches. Being held in high esteem is better than silver and gold. 
All right, so having a good reputation with people actually is worth a whole heck of a lot more than sort of uh, um, elbowing other people out in order to get your prize that you're looking for. Okay? When you act with integrity, you find yourself endearing yourself to others. Right? People like you when you do things in a good way. Right? People you might be brushing shoulders with in your workplace or in your career field or something like that. Right? These people will then want to help you. They'll go out of your way to sort of help you uh, out, help you have success. And that will set you up for a better future, ultimately, Proverbs is telling us, than just getting the, the, the one thing you're looking for and kind of doing whatever it takes to get there. Right? The goodwill that we build up with people is worth far more, and this comes back to be of far more worth, especially at the end when we look back on everything. And on top of this sort of natural way that it works out, Proverbs is always saying over and over again that God is, he's working to aid those. He's using his providence, his, his power, his control over the world to aid those who are seeking to honor him by walking uprightly. So, for example, Proverbs 19.21, and there's a lot of examples of verses like this in Proverbs that I could have used, but this one is, is a really good one. Um, you can make many plans, but the Lord's purpose will prevail. Okay? Um, uh, one commentator says, there are no loose ends in God's world. That's what Proverbs is saying. There are no loose ends in God's world. And so if that's true, if God is the one who is overall, who's sovereign and in control of everything, and he's calling us to, to follow him, to live uprightly, to live morally in the decisions that we make, we can expect that he is going to bless what we do. Even if it might not seem like it right away, eventually the greater good that God is working, we should expect to get to see that. Now, um, it's pre presented very straightforward here in the book of Proverbs, we're going to get into, and this is why it's important that when we read this wisdom literature, we're reading it all together, because Ecclesiastes and the book of Job offer us a bigger picture of how a lot of this stuff works. But I'm going to leave it here for now, and we'll get to that stuff when we get to those books. But, but overall, when, um, when you try to honor God, you will not find yourself disappointed. That's the big point I want you to take away from this first point that we're talking about today. All right, second thing I want to talk about today is that the wise are quick to listen, they're discerning, and they're self-controlled. Now, this summer I was really disappointed. Um, one of the things that happened because of COVID is we weren't able to have a, a softball team as a church. And I had a ton of fun our first summer as a church getting to play softball with a bunch of you. It was a really, really fun year. I love softball, baseball. I've been playing them both my whole life. And one of the things that I always remember, and it's fun to get to play softball with or baseball with people who've never played it before because I enjoy teaching and coaching people. And so one of the things that I remember telling some people is when you play in the outfield, um, when a ball gets hit off the, the bat of, of a person who's hitting, a lot of times when you're playing out in the outfield, you see that ball coming off the bat right away and it looks like it's going one direction or it's kind of coming off the bat really fast when it's not. And so you have to learn some patience as an outfielder to sort of keep yourself from playing the ball wrong. And so one of the things that, that I, I tell people is, to, that I learned myself back in high school playing baseball is um, taking what's called like a read step, where you literally, the ball comes off the bat and you want to run one direction, either back really far or forward really far. And I always tell people, before you do anything, just pick your foot up and set it down again, okay? Because your foot's naturally going to want to go one direction. Pick it up, set it down again, and then in that split second that you've had to sort of judge where the ball is going, you have a better sense of where it is. 
All right, so, so you want to take this read step. You want to sort of take a second to sort of um, evaluate the situation a little bit more because it can be deceiving at first blush. All right, you want to read that a little bit. You want to react right away. You want to see what's happening in front of you. And, and that's what this sort of, this concept that we're talking about here in Proverbs, being quick to listen, discerning, and self-controlled is really getting at. All right, I think a lot of times it can be easy to act uh, towards someone, some situation or some person like you do when you see a ball come off the bat uh, in softball or baseball. You want, to, you want to be quick to judge, you want to be reactive, you want to move really quickly to sort of cut it off. But we're actually going to be a lot better off if we're willing to sort of just take a, even a split second to sort of give ourselves more time to evaluate what's going on. We will almost always do a better job of catching the ball that's been hit at us if we pause for a second to get a better sense of where it's going, all right? So here we go, Proverbs 14, uh, verses 15 to 17 is another collection of verses that get at this. Only simpletons believe everything that they're told. The prudent carefully consider their steps. Verse 16, the wise are cautious and avoid danger. Fools plunge ahead with reckless confidence. Verse 17, short-tempered people do foolish things and schemers are hated. What, what, the, uh, what Solomon here, the writer of, of Proverbs, is saying is that wisdom isn't, it's not gullible, it's not overconfident, and it's not knee-jerk. It is self-controlled, it's discerning, and it wants to be careful not to rush into things without having all the information needed in order to make a good decision, right? It doesn't want to plunge ahead recklessly. It wants to evaluate what's going on. It wants to consider all the information before making up its mind and acting, because then you're committed, right? That when you're playing a, a pop fly in the outfield, let's say that a ball is coming off the bat and I think it's going to land in front of me. And so I start running in, and then I realize, oh no, there's a little bit more air under this ball than I thought, and it's actually going further. Now I'm out of position to make the catch, okay? I can't make the catch anymore because I reacted too quickly. I have to turn around and run back at it, and I'm going to have to pick it up and throw it, and the guy's going to be at second base by the time I get a chance to do that, all right? You don't want to commit yourself to something off of a a, a snap judgment, And, and wisdom is calling us to not do that. Now, there are a lot of opportunities where this is going to be helpful for us. In marriage and friendships, all right, I, you know, we're stuck at home right now, and you're stuck around the same people all the time, right? You're, whether it's, it's your spouse, your kids, your roommates, some friends that you live with, whatever it is, it can be easy, and I'm speaking from experience here, to sort of make snap judgments at the person you're living with because you see them all the time when you're, re- you're being really unfair to them, right? You're assuming something about their intentions and saying something that's totally not true. But when I s- reach out and snap at Julie, I've committed myself now, and the only thing I can do from there is either make it worse or apologize, right? I could have avoided both of those things if I just paused and waited to see what she was getting at a little bit, try to understand it some more. Um, many fights would be avoided if people were willing to just pick their foot up and put it down again, just to read the situation a little bit, to see where the ball is actually headed, all right? This can be helpful in making first impressions with people, right? We can make snap judgments on people with having hardly any information on them. We make judgments about people just based off of the clothes that they're wearing, right? Right? We, 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 we sort of fill in a picture of who a person is oftentimes without, getting, without having said a word to them or hear, having heard a word from them. If we were willing to reserve judgment from people and not make such quick first impressions, we might get off on the better foot with them. 
All right? There, there just are so many ways in which this is helpful for, for us. In our news consumption, right? When you see a tweet or something on social media that's a one-sentence description of a very complicated story and you make up your mind about this person or the situation off of it, a lot of times you're going to be making a decision that's probably wrong. You're going to be kind of forming an opinion about it that's not that well-informed. All right, it's better to sort of maybe click on the article and read it from beginning to end to get a better understanding of what's going on. Or maybe read about it from a couple different perspectives. All right, I think that would be really, really helpful for our society if people were willing to do that a little bit more. All right, fools are going to fall into that stuff, but the wise refuse to. And when we take in info with discernment, we're less likely to move to judgment so quickly. Okay, so like I said uh, earlier, Proverbs 15, 28 and 14, 29. The heart of the righteous weighs its answers, but the mouth of the wicked gushes evil. People with understanding control their anger. A hot temper shows great foolishness. See, the wise are always trying to think several steps ahead. They're trying to ask themselves if, you know, if I do this thing in response, where is that going to lead to, right? They're thinking about what do, what's the goal here, and they're trying to ask what's the best next step to try to get us there, okay? They're able to anticipate where will this conversation or this relationship go if I lash out? What info might I be assuming here? Would it be helpful to ask a question here instead of accusing? Maybe, maybe getting more information or trying to ask them what they intended with that would be better than assuming I know what that is. And when you don't, that's when, uh, that's when bad stuff starts to spread from there, right? It, that, that's, it, it, uh, exaggeration or lies or harm turning into retribution, that stuff's contagious, right? Just like we, can, we spread COVID with our mouths, we can spread conflict with our mouths too in how we choose to respond to other people. Because if we respond poorly to someone else, now we made them angry and then Boom, we're in fight. That's just how this stuff works. And you can avoid a lot of that if we're willing to just be a little bit more cautious. Now, I'm not saying don't speak, right? The wise will speak. And it's good when they do, right? I mean, we talked about earlier, the wise make people around them better, okay? But they only do so when it's wise to speak, right? They, they, those who open their mouths quickly with no thought, they're usually gonna make things worse. Now, here's the thing. We are gonna mess up with this, all right? Even, even those of us who are really wise will still make mistakes in this. And when we do, wisdom says the right way to respond is to be quick to take on discipline, correction, or feedback, to try to understand what I could have done better. So for example, here's a couple verses. Proverbs 10.8, the wise are glad to be instructed, but babbling fools will fall flat on their faces. Proverbs 12.1, to learn, you must love discipline. It is stupid to hate correction. All right? So a babbling fool. This is a person who talks big, who sort of is always thrusting their opinion on other people. Uh, you, know, you know, social media is a great place. People are always trying to thrust their opinion on you. All right? Or it's that friend you have who's always telling you their opinion, even though nobody asked for it. Right? You all know people like that. Right? And, and, and they're, they're always quick to do it. So they can't hear anyone else's opinion. They want to get theirs out there first. They want that to be the talking point. Right? Um, they're concerned that people see how great and how smart they are. And it's because they're not looking for other people's input. They're not looking for correction, for instruction, for discipline. They are not interested in it. They want the reward of the attention. That's all that they're really, really looking for. They're nothing more than that. Instead, we should be quick to listen. That should be our first instinct. You might learn something. We might learn something if we're willing to listen. 
And again, we might avoid a lot of conflict if we're willing to listen and understand others too. Now, do you love discipline? Probably not. But wisdom says to learn to love it because it will make us better off. It will help us to grow. And we have to seek that out. Now, instead of taking correction or discipline often, we like to create conflict, okay? And so that's this next point I want to get to, this third one here of the sermon, is, is, is how we think about conflict. I think this is an important one for our world today where conflict is sort of emblematic of how we, right, think about our society right now. One big conflict between a bunch of, or really two groups of people, really, all right? But wisdom says this, that the wise know that a friend is worth more than an enemy, Okay? Proverbs does have, actually have a lot to say about conflict. All right? um, and that's good. Like I said, we need to know how to do, deal with conflict well, I think, especially in this society. And when it's talking about conflict, it gets back to that gardening idea that we talked about last Sunday. Remember how we talked about last Sunday with wisdom, what you plant is what's going to grow back again. We use that kind of garden imagery. If you plant this, you should expect to get this thing. And if you plant, if you don't plant this thing, you shouldn't expect to get it either. Okay? That's important for understanding how to deal with conflict or how Proverbs has to talk about conflict. So here's some examples. Proverbs 15.1. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Proverbs 15.4, the, uh, the soothing tongue is a tree of life, but a perverse tongue crushes the spirit. And Proverbs 15.8, a hot-tempered person stirs up conflict, but the one who is patient calms a quarrel. So the demeanor of the wise person, especially in times of conflict, is this, de-escalation and gentleness. A soothing word, patience, gentleness, will get gentleness and patient words back from another person. And those are far better than the other things that you could sow if you try to use the other thing there, right? So if you value peace and unity and love, right, which we all say we value that stuff, right? Everyone is for peace and unity and love. I don't know anyone who's not for that, right? But what we sow oftentimes shows that that's not what we're really about, Okay? If you want to get that back, you have to be willing to plant it in conversations with other people. So if you plant anger and hatred at, at other people, that's exactly what you're going to get back. Right? When we give into or create conflict, we should expect to get conflict back. Right? If you call and treat other people, if you treat them like monsters, they're going to act like monsters back to you, okay? I'm sorry, but that becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you tell someone this is what they are, that's what they're going to act like back towards you. But if you're willing to, instead to try and cultivate a friendship with someone, you should expect to get that back as well. Now, some people don't have time for this today, right? Some people just are on the warpath. They're looking to be offended or to offend others. That's their goal. That's, that's what they're looking to do. Okay, Proverbs is telling us, though, do not be those people. Proverbs does, and let me be clear, we'll, we'll talk about this more next week. Proverbs does talk about sort of stepping away from pointless dealings with, with, with some people, right? Especially people called mockers. We'll talk about who those people are a little bit next week. But the big point here that I want you to get is that don't turn someone into an enemy who doesn't have to be one, all right? Now, like I said, sadly, our discourse is sort of all about treating people unlike us or who disagree with us as enemies. That's the primary way we choose to view them a lot of times beforehand. 
But Proverbs says that a soothing tongue is a tree of life and a perverse spirit, uh, or perverse tongue crushes the spirit. That's what it says in verse 15.4. Some people just, that's what they want to do. They want to crush other people's spirit. They want to shame other people. That's That's what their goal is in conversations. And when that's our mindset, and we keep giving it to other people, we're gonna keep getting it back, right? I think some people believe sort of shaming the other side is the only way to deal with them, the only way to persuade them. Let them know how stupid they are, how idiotic they are, make sure that they're aware of it, and we'll get them to repent and see the light and become enlightened and smart like me, all right? Um, but, but then they're surprised when they find out that they get the same thing back from those people, right? Genuinely, they seem confused. Like, how could you have taken my shaming of you any other way other than to see the light and, and start acting like me? No, Proverbs says that's exactly what you should have expected to get back if that's how you're going to treat them. In order to change the trajectory of so much conflict, there needs to be an intense sort of hard work of sowing love and understanding, now, don't, don't, don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. Don't get it twisted. Solomon isn't saying that we're supposed to, you know, sweep truth and, 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 and like real issues under the rug here and just sort of live in a kumbaya land where we don't, you know, we don't talk about the hard stuff in the world. That's not at all, okay? We, we shouldn't sweep wickedness under the rug, okay? We shouldn't, uh, we shouldn't not work for good and stand up to the wicked, to the foolish, to the unjust, to the, to the oppressive, to false prophets in the world, right? Um, the, we have a goal as a church, a duty as a church, I think, to speak sort of prophetically and to challenge those who are walking in paths of unjust um, actions or, or, or views or hearts or wickedness. We're supposed to challenge that stuff as a church. But the goal shouldn't be domination in doing that. All right? Success can happen when bridges are built and not burnt. Okay? If we are willing to believe that a friend on the other side is worth more than getting the, the, our goal is, right? then, then we're going to find a lot more success in the world. That's what Proverbs is telling us here. Now, gentle, gentle answers won't solve uh, or avoid every quarrel, but it will start to begin the road to resolution and respect, even if we still find ourselves in disagreement in some way with the person that we're talking with. And that's, that's okay. Disagreement is okay. It's not the end of the world if you disagree with someone. It's more important that you try to cultivate friendship with them than creating them in, into an enemy. And so Proverbs is, is so uh, concerned with how we deal with friendships because it values friendship. It says friendship is worth so much to us. Friends are so valuable to us, Proverbs says. So here's an example of that, Proverbs 27.9. The heartfelt counsel of a friend is as sweet as perfume and incense. Friends are valuable to us, even if we disagree with them. And if you have good friends, you know you disagree with them sometimes, and that doesn't harm your friendship. You can, you can hold those things in tension. Proverbs is calling us to try to create friendships with people instead of turning them into enemies because friendships are important. And so we ought to be adding uh, friends and subtracting enemies. And our words, our demeanor towards others, where conflict is a potential outcome, is super important in how we learn to do that. Now let me just put, to put a bow on this point here in, in Black History Month, I feel like I'd be remiss if I didn't say this. There are really good examples of this sort of approach to, to people who, who want to treat you with hatred or, or anger or racism from the black church and, and black people who have lived in the United States here, right? Uh, despite dealing with racism, hatred, with dehumanization, marginalization throughout 
all of America's history, black people, I think, have really consistently done a good job of not turning evil back into more evil, all right? Especially in the church. And so when we're celebrating Black History Month here, I really think that's, an, that's something we should be celebrating. That's something we should be celebrating. And shame on us if we don't see that as a fundamental part of our history as a nation, Right? I think we should celebrate that this, this year. And we're going to be doing that. We're going to be talking more about that, uh, about that specific aspect, or at least part of that, um, later on in the month in one of our community group sessions. We're actually going to have community group uh, one week specifically be about Black History Month and sort of digging into what we can celebrate and find examples in, um, especially from our black brothers and sisters in the church um, throughout history. All right, let's move on, though, here to our, our final point. All right, is that wisdom will make us more like Christ. And when we, so we take everything that we've, we've talked about so far this morning, we find that Jesus himself is where this stuff culminates and who is the perfect example of it. Christ embodies this wisdom, especially when we look at him on the cross. And Hebrews 1, uh, or sorry, 12, 1 to 2 tells us this. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning his shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. In order to be like Jesus, we have to fix our eyes on him. And when we do, we see clearly the ways in which these sort of aspects of wisdom that we talked about today are all embodied for us perfectly and clearly on the cross itself. Jesus considered righteousness and integrity to his mission to go to the cross to die for our sins and to rise again to give us new life. He considered all of that better than any temporary gain he could have, he could have taken on, right? And now he sits at God's right hand because of it. He found the, the greatest success possible because he remained true to that and valued honoring God over anything else, despite the fact that he could have done much more. Or, or done different things. He, he had self-control. Even as his enemies lashed out at him with anger and hatred, spitting at him on the cross, right? And, and Jesus even says specifically, I could have called all these angels here to help me out if I wanted to. Like that was an option apparently for Jesus as he's on the cross. He could have called for help, but he maintained self-control despite it because he knew the reward that would come from dying on the cross was far better than getting out of it. He, he considered that self-control to be worth more. And finally, he sought to turn his enemies, those in rebellion and hostility towards him and towards God and his kingdom, he sought to turn them into friends through his sacrifice on the cross. And so Jesus is this perfect example of this wisdom for us. And if we want to find true wisdom... We have to fix our eyes on Jesus. When we do, he becomes the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. He's the pioneer in that he shows us the path to take as well as having the power to create a way for us to follow him. That's what he's doing on the cross is he's making it so we can even have the possibility of following him in this wisdom. And he's the perfecter in that he helps us to grow closer and closer to this perfection that we find in wisdom through the spirit, through the church, and through the word that he's been giving us. Aiding us, helping us, giving us wisdom, speaking to us through the Holy Spirit um, so that we, our faith might be perfected as we follow him in this wisdom. 
And when people see us walking in that wisdom, you can bet they're going to be attracted to it. And they're going to want to follow Jesus as well. So Jesus has made a way for us to follow him and to hear this wisdom. Will we take it? Will we follow him? Or will we just say we want to take the easy ways out, we want to kind of be like the rest of society, and just like everyone else around us, and ignoring lady wisdom? All right, that's the challenge for you here this Sunday as we close the sermon, is to ask yourself that question, right? Will we take this path? Will we allow Jesus to be the pioneer and perfecter for us of this wisdom? Or will we sort of sit back and ignore it? Will we not listen to it? Will we, will we take the easy way out? Will we just choose to be like everyone else because that's simpler? Um, or are we going to take this, 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 this command, this charge on us? So our reflection question today, this is what I want you to be thinking about as we are in the time of worship here, we do our last worship song, is which of these three areas of wisdom that we talked about today is God calling me to consider more, right? Is there any one of these areas that I, I feel like Jesus, the one who is the perfecter and the pioneer of my faith, who is, who is, who is calling me to, to pay more attention to, to think about how I can better embody this wisdom this morning? I want you to think about that. I want you to pray about it, meditate on it, reflect on what it would look like for you to follow him in that. Let me pray and then we'll enter into a time of communion and worship as you reflect on that question. Lord, we thank you that you have uh, made a way for us. You have been the pioneer and perfecter of our faith so that we may hear what Lady Wisdom has to say to us. We may follow her call and that we may uh, be made more perfect in wisdom. We may find the life that comes through following wisdom, God. We may better guard our futures. We may better uh, live with the people around us. Uh, We may create friends rather than create enemies, God. As we sort of listen to wisdom, we hear what she has to say, and we find ourselves uh, being empowered to, to live it out more through your son, Jesus, the one who perfectly embodied that wisdom for us on the cross, God. Help us to fix our eyes on Jesus today, this week, and in all time going forward, Lord, so we may, we may grow more like him. We pray this in his name. Amen.